And we are back live. This is episode three. Yay. A standard deviation podcast. And I'm using the right microphone this time. Nice. This is the third episode of the trilogy, which will will have more episodes. But it's like the return of the of the king or the queen, however you want it. Yeah, after the episode we did with Tan Wesseling, uh, last time we, we set the bar high. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the guest we have today uh, might make it uh, a problem for the next guest because I think our guests are setting the bar high every time. They are. And they're making us look bad. Like they are so yeah. interesting and funny. And, and then, you know, we are what we are. <laughs> we are the, we're the necessary evil you have to get through in order to interact with our wonderful guests. Yeah, we're um, very lucky to have a great series of guests coming this season. Yes. And yet, what are yeah. we talking about today, Simo? Well, I want to talk about the fact that I, I, I stepped on a Lego the first thing when I woke up this morning. And it, it was horrible. Like, I, I am actually a very good morning person. Um, I wake up really early and my kids also wake up early. My wife is not such a person. So we have this, you know, deal that I, I'm, I'm, or it's not a deal. It's just a routine where I wake up early with the kids. But the, um, the underlying assumption that I'm going to have a good morning kind of precludes that I don't step on a Lego. Um, and I saw this, I saw this life hack related just before I, uh, like last, last night before this episode or this whole thing happened where somebody built like Lego shoes for themselves. So they were immune to Legos. And in fact, when they step on Legos, they become taller. And I yeah. thought that was just a wonderful life hack. I'm going to have to start doing that in the mornings, but yeah, it was a rude awakening, but now I'm, now I'm all chirpy and it's uh, weekend is coming and it's, everything's oh, fine. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Excited about uh, our guest today. Yeah. I'm ex- excited also about uh, the weekend. Not excited about kids being in vacation next week. <laughs> I know you are, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this uh, this episode, um, it's going to be really, really uh, interesting to talk about. Uh, you want to, do you want to like uh, divulge yeah. the secret of this episode? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens when we start talking to the guest, but. Um... <laughs> Correct. But we, but we can kind of set the stage here. So one of the things that uh, I, I've given up, partly at least, is, is agency life. Even though I'm, I'm still technically part of, or I am part of AP Chief, which is, you could call it an agency, even though it's not such in a traditional way. But the idea that you might have a new customer every, every or a new client every week, you have to constantly kind of reinvent yourself. You have to create templates and, and reports and retainers and billable hours and so on. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you just started at Media Monks, which is, you know, an agency, although so much more as well, but they, but they do have the agency part, component as well. So how, how, how do you like the life? Like, what is, why was it so clear for you that you want to enter that world or keep, keep staying in that world? It wasn't clear because this is my first time working in an agency. As oh, yeah. you know, I always work client side or vendor side. But I think in my case, because I wanted to move to digital analytics agency is kind of like mostly the de facto for digital analysts, besides the in-house ones, which are very rare mythical creatures, in my opinion, because mostly everyone is working either as a freelancer or at a contractor or in an agency. And uh, I guess like, yeah, the reason why I'm here is because of Julian and Doug, because they're like the biggest nerds ever and they sell god damn it they sell it very well um but to be truthful to you actually just beside before we started recording i was talking to one of uh one of our directors and uh about my projects and i realized that i was i'm working right now on 
probably like six clients at the same time. Yeah. And for me, it's exciting because you learn from one and you, you know, it's like compounding um, knowledge. But at the same time, it's very hard to go from one to another, mm-hmm. especially if they're like totally different business models, totally different problems, different yeah. tools. And it's 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 exhausting sometimes. Uh, and uh, I, if you were to ask me a few years ago if I would do this, I would probably have said no. Yeah. But now that I am doing this, I just think it's like one of those things that you have to go through as a professional career just to know how it is and understand how it works and contracts and billable hours. And it's uh, it's a lot of stuff to wrap your hand around to. But that doesn't mean that I don't dream that one day I would uh, freelance and be on my own. But I feel like it's not there yet for me because you still need to learn how things yeah. work. I think that's an interesting point. Like you're dreaming about freelancing. I'm, I am already like doing that. And for so for both of us, I think it's kind of a, a progression goal that you you do yeah. you do the work in, in employment and then you are your own employer. But I don't like I'm, I'm I'm curious if other people share that view because obviously there are many people who are just who don't want to go out alone who for whatever reason maybe it's stability maybe it's they don't want to be in control in that way um, or they have a wonderful employer. Who, whom they never want to leave, um, or they have only good experiences from employment, and they know that the next one they'll they'll go to below will also, also be really nice. So it's it's kind of interesting to hear what kind of different progressions there are. When I was working agency side, before I ever considered being an entrepreneur, I always thought that the logical progression was to go in house. Yeah. Like I, I because I've been a consultant all my life. Like I've I've never worked in house, um, other than uh, te- like technically in house when I was in academia, but. I've always worked for clients. I've always sold to clients and I've always, especially in those like sales situations, I've always envied the client because they have all the power. They can be like, come on, talk to me, sell me your wares, sell me this pen, sell me this pen. And I've always envied like that, man, that's such an amazing power. And I always thought that that, that's going to be my goal is to find a really cool company where I can just stay with them and not worry about like the thing you mentioned, like context switching from one client to another. Um, but then I, th- I think that what happened to me was that I realized that it, this is just like a, a fixation on that one very particular power imbalance that I was thirsty for. And I, in the end, I never considered that to be a good reason to go uh, in-house. So I, I kind of logically thought that I have a certain skill set which performs very well in the market. Why should I do this for an employer anymore? And I don't want to do it in-house. So then I, of course, have to become my own employer. So for me, it was a very, very logical thing. And I believe you had so many people. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I believe so many people try to hire you. Like if you would say right now, (laughs) I want to, I want to. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. And this is, this is absolutely honest also because i hate linkedin and i'm I'm, i've made it a very clear point that i i hate it and it's all over my profile that please don't be in touch with me um (laughs) i i have never been headhunted i've never been like um um, my 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 most recent employer and i love them i i still work with them and for them in many capacities and i i just admire them but reactor Mm -hmm. finnish company they they didn't headhunt me but i did meet the I did meet the team at Super Week. One Super Week, they brought their team there and we just had a great discussion and I just loved their approach to company culture. And then one of them said that, okay, hey, by the way, we'd be really interested if you want to join Reactor. And I thought that I was being headhunted. I thought that, wow, cool. Okay, I'll just, you know, fine, I'll join you. And then he's like, um, 
you know, there are like five different interview levels you have to pass. Like, we're not giving you like a car. <laughs> I'm just saying that we'd love to have you if you want to apply. So I've never, wow. I've never had that. And, and this isn't like, a, this isn't me feeling sorry. I absolutely do not want to be headhunted. I am, I am very, very happy being in charge of my own job hunt. Um, and well, right now I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain that I will never, ever jump, you know, hunt for a job knocking on wood. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so it's for me, for me, it's certainly been like, I've, I've, I've gone out of my way to look for, for employers that I want to work for. And also, you have built a great, great thing with uh, with uh, Simmer, and I think it's a, such a great platform for uh, people to learn from, but also like get a bit of your experience with you know, because I think you are who you are because you had this experience of in house and agency and consultancy. Mm-hmm. Like it helps you, and I think I actually wanted to ask, like in a way, when you're uh, building these courses and curriculums, do you also have in mind, you know, like that structure of how you know things should be. I guess used in the day to day because I saw you wrote this article about the ray reduce, which, which is based on people's feedback, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I, you know, I, I still do some consultancy work precisely because otherwise I would feel like a fraud teaching people things that I no longer do on a day to day basis. But um, and I'm sorry to my a few customers who might be listening to this are my clients. Uh, I, I, I really like working for them. I've been working for both for years. So I'm, they are part of my fabric at this point. Uh, but I do treat them as guinea pigs as well. Like they have some of the most amazing data sets and I love kind of pouring over those and figuring out what could we do with this. Um, so I do use them to keep my edge sharp first and foremost, like my own, my own skill fitness, if you will, is dependent on having those clients. But I couldn't, when I design a course, I think it's less about how this would work in an in-house situation or agency situation and more about like what is the shortest path to accumulating certain skills that you might need in agency side or client side or in-house side. And, um, and then I hope that people who take the course will take that stuff, open up discussions in the communities and say that, okay, we learned all this stuff. Now, how do I do CLV here? You know, how do I do... Uh, churn analysis here. How do I do, um, you know, purchase propensity here? So I, I hope I hope that the use cases come on top of it, but I don't want to like introducing those use cases themselves to the curriculum would be kind of against what we are trying to do, which is keep things very bite sized and generic. Because yeah. then when you start doing like you know you know purchase propensity or whatever, it's it's going to balloon into a thirty minute super complicated la- la- layer up and layer up and layer up and layer kind of talk. But, that makes sense. And I, I guess I, I, I do like the concept of finding like the easiest way to get from <laughs> A to B, because that sometimes makes it's like uh, Pep uh, had this thing like you learn like in the complex learning, but just in time learning yeah. is having the skills to apply exactly when you need them. So like I yeah. think long term, this bite size, just in time type of learning kind of makes more sense in the fa- fast paced environment that we're in, especially in an agency or even client side, like you, we're expected to deliver fast. So I do like that a lot, which. Um, well, I mean, me... technical marketing is kind of resilient to yeah. a lot of theory. Like there's a, there's a, there's a tendency to stuff courses full of like background information. And I, 
I actually learned during CXL. So you mentioned Pep and Pep Laha is the, is yeah. the founder of CXL and, and we've both worked for him in, in one capacity or another. And, you know, when, when I built my first course for CXL, it was like these super long, one and a half hour long yeah. marathon uh, live webinar style things. And then my second course were, were still super long, but they were pre-recorded. And then it, it always just kind of, you know, it, it chewed on me that, you know, this makes sense. All of this stuff is important, but nobody in their right mind is going to watch one and a half hours of me prattling on about, you know, advanced GTM stuff. So now they did. Yeah, they did. many people did. And I'm, I'm like, what's wrong with you? But, you know, there's, you know, now CXL has also taken like the playbook approach, yeah, which inspired me in the task-based approach in Simmer. So just having, being able to select a, a, a video that takes, you know, five to 10 minutes to watch and knowing that as soon as you've watched it, you can apply it. You don't yeah. have to think that, okay, that was a great amount of like, you know, theory and philosophy, but now I still have to go through three more videos until I know how to open the damn user interface. So I, I didn't want that. I, I wanted people to just do, do, do. And, and, and the, the, the kind of, you know, you, you get the knowledge and the background afterwards. Um, I don't know if that's the right approach, but at least it seems to be working. I think people are, um, at least they're learning the technical skills. They might not learn the kind of underlying fabric and the history of why those technical skills exist, but they are learning the skills and that's enough for me for now. Yeah, I you're think. right. Even from the first listen, you open the dev console and you yeah, have exactly. the alert with hello world. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's That should be a good way to start any course, just how to do hello world in whatever <laughs> that you're doing. Which makes me press play on this song I have for you today. I like it. It's yeah, it's very clashy. It's very like Sex Pistols. -y. Good. Takes this me means back. I want you to do the ad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So so yeah. Weird music segues has now come, and we are ready to talk about Simmer again, which we have, again we've talked about it at length. Um, but I guess what I want to say this time is if, you know, if you want to learn a skill and if you just want to do stuff, you know, you want to watch a video and then do it, then um, I hope that Simmer is the place for you. We have a bunch of courses. It's all self-paced, all bite-sized, all task-based. Well, I mean, we do have live components like webinars and stuff, but um, we hope that you take a look. It's teamsimmer.com and use the coupon code DEVIATE, that's D-E-V-I-A-T-E, for 10% off your purchase. One day I'm going to spell that wrong, but today is not the day. So it's DVA for 10% off at teamsimmer.com. And uh, yeah, and uh, you will find these links in the notes and also this uh, blog article that I just read from you recently, which I really, really liked. It's called, let me see, because I have it right here. I How can I put the array reduced method to use yeah. in technical marketing? So see, just in time learning. I really array love the article. Great. Array reduce is such an amazing method. Like um, array methods in general, like really keep me up at night. They're wonderful <laughs> for JavaScript. Um, but array reduce is like the golden goose. It's a, uh, it's it's such a weird method because you take a complicated structure and you're going to just squeeze it, Into and then little values. tops that come out are the single values that you might need. So that article is the kind of stuff we do at Simmer. So it's it's um you know. We have a, we know that there's a problem. We know that there's a knowledge gap, and we want to serve it. Okay, that's enough of self promotion for. for I think our... it's time for us to invite our guest. Yes. Yes. So who do we have today, Simo? So Jen is one of these people in the industry who I've never met. Um, you know, she lives across the pond from us, and um, uh, she's she's just such a 
powerhouse. Like uh, I, I bet her clients love her to bits. Uh, her employer <laughs> is super, you know, lucky to have her. Anytime she writes about anything, whether whether it's about analytics or Adobe or or client work or browser tracking protections or board games, it's super insightful. So it's it's this is like a very geeky moment for me because I've always wanted to talk to Jenkins from Thirty Three Sticks, and I and I um I hope we get to talk about agency life because Thirty Three Sticks has this. Um, I think I think it's considered a very very good company to work at. So I want to hear what the culture is like and what we could learn from them. We can maybe take to Doug Hall and Julian Coquet and tell them how they should improve. Maybe we should invite them also next in our next episode oh, to see what they think. Yeah, maybe we have them on as well. Yeah, that's a good. There idea. you go. Well, let's uh, let's get Jen Collins on and in the way we all are used to. We have Jen in the building. Welcome to the show, Jen. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm excited to do this. Thank you guys so much for inviting me on. So so before you came on, I was telling a story about how my day today began by stepping on a Lego brick. And uh, I was looking for you because I know that your company, 33 Sticks, you had a Lego day. So where you were all, you know, you were given a budget to buy some cool stuff and then you were building it. I'm trying to look in your room, like where where was the stuff that you built? It's in the other room, uh, that particular one, but my whole house is overflowing with Legos. Like we literally have a room for Legos. Um, It's my husband and my hobby and and has been for a long time. So right now I have Hogwarts and uh, um, Diagon Alley above me. Wait, you have the whole Hogwarts? Like all the buildings? Yeah, I don't don't know if I can take the... Um, the camera and show, but yeah, they're just right up there. Oh, we'll, we'll leave that for our next episode about Lego. <laughs> or you send us pictures and we... Yes, I, I can send You can pictures. tweet it and we can put it in the episode notes. There we go. There you go. Yeah, so, I, I don't think I could safely move my camera. I think there are too many cords involved. That's that's amazing because I've been like, I've been looking at those sets. Me and my son, we go through the like the Lego brochure and, and we kind of... <laughs> this is not a healthy thing to do, but we kind of play if we had... <laughs> as much money as we want, what would we buy? So it's like oh, yeah. a super capitalist exercise with my kid, but <laughs> the Hogwarts stuff is amazing because you- Yeah, you know, it is. There's a lot of really fun yeah, There's one stuff. building, then there's another, and then there's a whole alley, and then there's all these books and these yeah. common rooms. Yeah. Um, my husband and I realized early on in our marriage that instead of paying for a babysitter and a movie and dinner, that we could save, you know, it's what, 150 bucks or something in the end, if you, depending on how long you're out and where you go to eat and stuff that we could just spend that on one of the cooler Lego sets. Um, So we would have Lego date nights pretty regularly. And over 16 years of marriage, that's equaled a lot of Legos. A lot of Legos. Really, really cool. I would like to join your next couple of dates. If that's okay. Yeah, we're to the point that that's, you know, that's cool. (laughs) I mean, we have a a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old anyway, so... Dates have long since ceased to be yeah, a, a two-person thing. I think we, we, I think we can both identify with that. <laughs> um, what, what is a date anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, no well, it's when you step on a Lego brick, I think. Uh, but one, one question I do, I do want to belabor the point is: what is the biggest set you've built? Like, like one of those prepaid, like prepackaged sets, like in terms of brick count. Um, the uh, Avengers Hello Carrier was oh, a really oh. big one. Oh. Um, we are really, really looking forward to, oh my goodness. I know it's on my list of ones that I really want that they just announced that it's huge. And now I can't remember what it was. Rivendell. 
Yes, Rivendell. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so Thank good. you. Yeah, really looking forward to that. The Disney Castle was really big and um, has a, a lot of really neat details and stuff in it. How big is it? Like, I build um, the house in the tree from Minecraft. That's my biggest one. And oh, I, my, I son wants probably, so bad. my son wants that so it's bad. It's fun, but it took it took one day with breaks because yeah. me and my son started fighting <laughs> over who's going to put the house first. I like how it's like it's like a whole, like a tube, but then you yeah. can place the houses on it in different ways oh, to make pretty it. cool. Yeah, then they move around. Yeah, it's fun. But That's very Minecrafty. Yeah. Yeah. Minecraft sets are fun. Yeah, the, the Rivendell one has over six thousand pieces. Um, oh it's shit. Insanely huge. And generally with Legos, about ten cents per piece is normal. Yeah. So um it's yeah. actually a really good deal at five five hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> this is the same Alice is speaking. Yeah, it's a yeah. really, really good deal. Yeah. How many date nights is five hundred yeah. bucks? Depends on what yeah. you think. So we can um, we mentioned thirty three sticks and one of the things we also talked about in addition to Lego bricks with with Juliana was um, employment and and working agency side and and just what makes what keeps us working for a certain employer and I think that thirty three sticks has this reputation which we've already alluded to like they let you build Lego which I think is mm-hmm. a very cool thing but what like what's your history where did you come from before you came to thirty three sticks and why did you choose or why did they choose you. What do you so think? I've, I've been at various agencies since 2006, but pretty much in the exact same role as a implementation, I guess, architect these days. Um, but started at Omniture back in 2006, uh, took a couple years off to chase children around. In theory, that was the end, that <laughs> I, I was not planning on a career, that I did Omniture for a couple years to put my husband through school, and then I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And we did that for a little while and realized that... I could make more money than my school teacher husband. Um, and also I, I am too validation needy to, to be a stay-at-home mom. And my husband does it with much more sanity than I could. So he's been a stay-at-home parent and then I went back to work. And um, yeah, I've just been at different agencies ever since. Uh, doing generally the same thing. I was at Adobe for, for a good long stint. Um, and then 33 Sticks, I've now been here for five years, which for me, that's the longest I've ever been in one place. Well, um, if I'm going to be consulting anywhere, 33 Sticks is the place that I, yeah. I want to do it. Um, I will say I don't fully love consulting anymore. Um, it has its, its pros and cons. It's, it's really hard to really pour your heart into something you don't have full control over the outcome of. Um, yeah. But uh, I've got some good client partners right now. And uh, But yeah, so 33 Sticks, it's, um, we don't bill by the hour. It's project-based, which means I don't have to do timesheets or anything. Um, also means that I can go down rabbit holes and not worry about eating up client time by learning about something that's maybe only adjacent to what they're asking me or something. Um, and Jason Thompson, the CEO, uh, as you alluded, he's, he's kind of a, a cultural phenomenon in and of himself, um, which is funny to me. He's, he's got some social anxiety. He's, he's a very quiet guy in person a lot of the time. Um, but he he really believes in the you know remote work and a lot of um, employee autonomy and and all of that which I really value. So and he, and he he had these values placed before COVID. So when COVID came, you guys were actually prepared. You were yeah. You were, we you we've been that. remote all all along. Um, yeah. So and and to, to be honest, of the last uh, what sixteen years of agency life for me, only maybe four or five months were spent. Um, not remote. Oh. 
Um, I did a little stint at Search Discovery back when Search Discovery was younger and they actually wanted people on site. Now they're all spread out and, and remote works fine. But at the time I had to commute to, to Midtown Atlanta and, and that alone was just, I, ugh, not, not my thing. Um, well, it's not, I actually like the commute. You get to listen to podcasts and all yeah. of that. My problem was if I don't get home until six or six 30 and at the time I had young kids who went to bed at say seven 30, I only got to see them for an hour and they would make that hour count. Yeah, mm. I get home from work like already like peopled out and and too yeah. much sensory overload, and and then my kids would try to get twenty four hours worth of interaction into one yeah. hour, and I was afraid their only memory of of mommy would be of me. Okay, mommy needs space, <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the worst feeling in the world when you're super spent after a day at work and you know that your kids want your attention and you just too. You just can't, like, you you just can't do it. It's it's the yeah. worst feeling in the world. It is. It, it definitely is. Yeah. I think it's very relatable because it's kind of the same traction I had as well. And uh, um, I think also what you're mentioning earlier, it's such a not talked about aspect of doing implementation work is the actual research and reverse engineering that goes into a client. Because you have to do so much of that before you actually do the work. Because mm -hmm. it's not just the business context. It's also the technical context. So if you have to do some, I don't know, tagging implementation or whatever, you have to first spend some hours researching how it's done. What are the implications? How it right. can be fixed? And I agree that sometimes if you have a billable type of hours, uh, I guess, model, it's hard to do that quality work and because you cannot account it to the client. And it can be very frustrating for the employee per se, because you don't know exactly how to manage your time and make sure you're also uh, your work is being uh, accounted to the to the client. So definitely agree with that. We also work project based uh, in, uh, in the agency that I am and media monks. And it's so much refreshing to be able to actually do that work and not worry, oh my God, did I have the timesheets done? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it goes two ways for me that there's a lot of tasks that just because I've done them so many times, I can do very, very quickly. Yeah. So yeah. It, it felt dishonest to put anything, but you know, it took me 20 minutes on a timesheet. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but that's, that's 20 minutes that might have taken somebody else way longer or, or you got way more than your 20 minutes worth. Um, but then again, you know, I spent two hours yesterday researching cross-domain tracking on my own time. So, you know, that join the club, even join the club, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. So when you, when you're doing like project-based pricing, you get to be in charge of the profitability. Like if you can choose that I'm going to be super, super efficient here and then you'll actually have a lot of buffer and you can choose, okay, so maybe we're happy keeping this super profitable or I can use the extra buffer for more research and maybe more valuing mm. stuff. Yeah. My my worst experiences with billable hours were when I was working for a like a very typical kind of faceless IT corporation, and some client calls me, has a five minute chat where they're angry about our product, and I know that the product is borked, and I say, okay, we'll fix it, and then I have to bill one hour for that five minute call. I have to do it. Mm -hmm. It's it's so embarrassing. Like not yeah. only am I, am I like super ashamed or embarrassed about the product, I also have to actually ask the client money because they exposed the bug to us because they were no longer in the warranty uh, period or whatever. It's just, mm. it, it leads to such micro optimization and it just leads to bad blood everywhere. What do you think? Like, is, the, is there a, is there a scenario where it works? Like, do you feel like uh, some hourly? Yeah. Um, I will say going project based does have some downsides. Like you, you have to be very, very careful about scope. 
Mm. Um, so, and there are a lot of times where like our contract ends on the 15th and they haven't gotten all the paperwork through that if I, it were hourly, it wouldn't be so big a deal to be like, well, I'll just keep going and keeping track of hours because we know it's going to eventually yeah. come through and, and we'll bill you for those. But if you're project based there, there is no like recovery for time spent uh, outside of, of the realm of the engagement. But yeah, the biggest thing is scope creep. It is very easy to all of a sudden have volunteered yourself for way more than the intended scope of the project. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hourly can really help with that. Um, at 33 sticks, all eight of us are kind of industry veterans and, and think hopefully yeah. by now are pretty good at managing the scope and all of that. But I, I don't know if it would work um, in all agency situations and with folks who hadn't had as much client experience and understand what's at risk, what's at stake here, um, as far as uh, keeping things within the boundaries of the engagement. So like, there's only eight of you. Do you do, you do teamwork? Like, do you build a team for a project still? Um, yes. Like, uh, we'll man each, there'll be a single kind of client lead on any of our projects. And in some cases, that might be the only person working on it for a long time. I was the only person on, on my main, two main projects. Um, but uh, we, like during our kickoff calls, we'll introduce the whole team and say, like, you might see any of these folks, depending on what subject comes up, we mm -hmm. all have different realms of expertise. So we might pull That's in true. whoever. And again, we can do that because it's not hourly. And if all four of us are brainstorming on a thing, that's not four times the amount of billing. So, uh, so yeah, we, we definitely team up. Um, my favorite part of my job is, is swooping into other projects and solving a mm, quick coding nice. problem or something that I, I love the problem solving and troubleshooting. I like to think yeah. I'm pretty good at it. A lot of these things are things that I know the answers for only because I've been doing this for so long and have encountered so many weird yeah. situations. Um, and then I can pat myself on the back. Like I said earlier, I'm very validation needy and I can say, I solved the problem, we're good. Whereas my own projects where it's like, okay, this is 18 months long <laughs> trying to rebuild their analytics practice. And hopefully 10 months from now, I'll get that pat on the back for, you know, oh, yeah. I did the thing I set out to do, uh, which is why I, why I spend so much time on Measure Slack as well, yeah. because I just need those daily kicks of validation yeah. each uh, each day when my, my day job is maybe for longer term goals. But it's, it's like a fitness regime, right? You know, you, you we, we need to tackle these, like for us, maybe kind of low level stuff, but just pure technical, someone has a problem, we have a solution. And when you do those like a hundred a week or something, you, you're keeping your fitness level up. Like yeah, you're, yeah. You're the basic regime totally. for it. I think it's well, and, and you never know what's going to carry over. Like, you know, I help someone yeah. with some random project that has nothing to do with anything I'm currently doing. And then four days later, one of my clients has that same need. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I know the answer yeah. to this one. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I, I've, oh man, if, if there's like, if there's nothing I'm more afraid of in a professional scenario is having like a blank sheet where somebody asks, write a strategy or, you know, do like a, <laughs> oh, do like yeah. a process diagram. I would be so messed up. But then if there's like, you know, we have this weird constant security policy error on our website, what can we do about that? Then I'm like, oh yeah, give it to me. Yes. Yeah. People are wired in so many different ways, I think. Julian, where do you fall? Are you, are you in the in the let's fix it or let's strategize camp? Oh no, I'm I like fixing stuff. Yeah. I, uh, Doug uh, Hall had a joke about this. Let's uh, let's be tactical about being strategic. It's, <laughs> it's like where what are we talking about? I love fixing stuff, and um, I also am validation needy. And mm -hmm. 
when I uh, when I fixed something, I actually had a call today with uh, with my manager, and I said, "Listen, I feel like this week I've accomplished a lot of things, and I feel mediocrely good at Google Tag Manager now." <laughs> For me, is a win. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea no, what I'm doing. Yeah, I was like, I'm good. Give me another client. I will do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like the more we do stuff, it keeps our, you know, it's just brain fitness and um, yeah. keeping us going. But yeah, I'm total, I'm obsessed with problem solving and puzzles. The more puzzles I have, the better. Because personally, I'm like more of a self-starter. So I don't wait around for other people to help me. I will start researching. I'll ask my teammates. Somebody's got to answer. And I have like six people in my team that I can reach out to. And if one doesn't answer, I go to the other. Then I go and measure Slack. <laughs> and luckily you and Jen are there who probably answered this question beforehand. So it's um, it's very helpful for people like me that you guys exist. <laughs> because we can, you know, I, I can solve my own problems with, uh, with the things that you do there. Um, I also wanted to ask you something, Jen, because you mentioned Adobe so many times. I wanted to ask, how does the Adobe interface look like? Because I've never seen it. <laughs> I wasn't I'd one love of to the give chosen. you a tour sometime. Um, yeah, Adobe, uh, it's not used by as uh, a super ton of companies. It's one of those, like, the higher you go up, the Fortune 500, the, the yeah. more Adobe folks you'll find. And often they, all, they also have implemented GA, because why not? It's free. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Adobe, because I started at Omniture back in 2006, which became Adobe in, in 2008, um, that, that's been my main bread and butter. But I've done a lot of GA work as well and felt very confident in it until GA4. <laughs> and now it's every single day. I'm just like, the, the, not the implementation. Implementation's fine, but the mm. interface just makes me feel dumb. Mm. <laughs> I don't feel like no. I'm a dumb person. <laughs> um, so yeah, GTM, I'm good. We're, we're good there, but still, still trying to master the the GA4 reporting side of things without BigQuery. No. We we're in episode. This is episode three. three of the season, are we ready to go to GA4 yet? Or should we hold off for a couple of minutes? Because that's gonna- It's, it's gonna, a loaded it's, topic. It's gonna be for a Debbie sure. Downer for the rest of the season if we go there. But, well, I'll just but, throw out what I've said so that if anybody else there is also feeling dumb from it, just, you're not yeah. alone, you know. I think, it's a, I think it's a universal truism that it, it is certainly making people feel dumb and, and not, and intelligent people especially, um, who have- Unintended, right? School. Universal truth. Oh, oh well, so, yeah, nice, 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 nice spot. Yeah, um, I have this moment of brilliance. But listen, like, I want to ask you both. Actually, like, aren't we too obsessed with the tooling part? Because I see it's so many people talking, UA this, GA that, Adobe, whatever of amplitude. Who cares? <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, if we don't understand the logic behind why we are collecting data, how we're collecting data, the purpose of the data. What does it matter what we're using? I mean, every company is going to use what they can, what they afford, or what they are fooled into believing that they need. Mm. But at the end of the day, us that are practicing this, and I'm, I'm like, you guys have been doing this for so long. I'm just starting to get the hangs of it. And even now, I, because I work mostly with GA, I don't have Adobe clients, <laughs> thankfully, because I don't know how it looks like. Mm. But I just feel like uh, clients also have some questions and um that have nothing to do with the tool like the business mm -hmm. questions that clients mm -hmm. have cannot be answered necessarily with you know the the tool which is like just a portal 
game pun intended it's just a portal to get to get to some sort of data but like everyone is talking about these tools mm. and they're trying to make it look like the tools and technology are like the biggest blocker of everything and mm-hmm. it's all oh yeah it's ga oh it's matomo it's pivot who cares at the end of the day like how do you guys feel about this tool fetishism no i i definitely think if anything i think people put too much give the tools too much credit <laughs> or or discredit as the case may be of oh, I'm not getting enough value out of this tool it must be the tool's fault and never mind it probably is that you know the processes and the amount of resources and the attention and and focus um, that your company is willing to invest mm-hmm. in the tool has much more to do with with the value the tool will provide than the tool itself does um, and we see that time and time again that you know folks will change tool sets or or just keep buying new tools and adding to their stack. Mm. Um, and instead of getting more value out of each new tool, they're just spreading themselves thinner and thinner and getting less value out of all of them. Yeah. Um, and it, it does seem like a, like a diversion as well. Like when an organization is not performing or isn't making best use of their data, instead of trying to fix what's wrong with the organization, they throw another tool at it. Because that tool then promises will help you. We have we have AI. We can now fix finally all these problems that you have. So I think that's that's one of the things that companies have a budget and they need to use that budget. And they use the budget typically either for staying in the same ecosystem, maybe because of a vendor lock-in or because of a sunk cost fallacy that they've already spent so much money in this stack, or they look for a new tool. And right now we're in a we're we're in a huge um, like transition period because. A, a huge number of the world's companies and websites are forced to go through a very painful reevaluation. And now we're going to separate like the, the wheat, what, what, what's the expression? The wheat from okay. the, the chaff? Or... Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a Finnish version of that, which I didn't make <laughs> sense for me to say that out loud. But so we're looking at companies that are actually reevaluating their own like processes right now. And they're the, they're the, like the, the good ones. They know that now's our chance to step out of our like this this path that we've been treading for the last 15 years because Google is so powerful versus then there's those who are kind of it's you know GA4 we have to upgrade we've been using GA3 before that we've been using classic and urchin we have to upgrade so it's very interesting to see i don't think there's ever been such a momentum here that i mean really a a, a huge portion of an entire industry has to shift overnight almost and and we'll see where people navigate to well, and it, it used to be that uh, if if folks were shifting their main analytics tool, it was almost always because of a change of leadership that somebody mm-hmm. came in who had previously worked with yeah. GA and didn't know Adobe at all, and therefore we're now a GA camp. Um, and there's a little bit less of that. Certainly, there there isn't a lot of leadership coming in that feels strongly like pro GA four because just because nobody's had a chance to use it for very long. Yeah. Um. So instead, it's it's yeah, it's a real chance to evaluate things yeah. from scratch. And we can only hope the companies do it because this this really is a good time to press the reset button and you don't have to kind of buy in. You don't have to tread the path that everybody else treads. You can actually, there's like, for me, it's been mind blowing to kind of step out of my box every now and a while, just look at how many different solutions there are out there. And some of them are Mm -hmm. completely homespun and you can kind of put them up yourself. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, I I love that you're, you're very diplomatic about this topic. I'm I'm very, (laughs) we're very fortunate about this because this can get very nasty as well. Well, it's it's interesting too because uh, with you guys both based in Europe, I feel like Europe has more variety of tools. Like certainly, you know, all the tools are international; anyone can use any of them. But um, 
I feel like we hear much less about a lot of mm -hmm. the, the various tools over here. Um, yeah. That it's much more of a, well, to be fair, some of it may be that I live in a bubble of, of Adobe. Um, mm -hmm. But there are a lot of times where, uh, I, I don't know if GDPR has forced it some, um, yeah. but like PeeWeek Pro, you don't hear about in the US nearly as, yeah, certainly recently it's been more and more um, but for a long time, there's a lot of tools I only heard about in the European yeah. context. So. That's, a, that's a really good point. I've, I mean, Google and Adobe are so huge in the U.S., like so yeah. incredibly huge. And your main resellers are all, all in, in the States uh, or in North America, at least. And, um, and I think that in Europe, definitely like the uh, GDPR and especially Schrems too, when these like inter like data transfers between the EU and the U.S. were invalidated, has just, mm -hmm. just so many new solutions are popping up. Yeah. And we have like Snowplow and AT Internet and all these, um, some of them are super old and some of them are super complicated. So we, I, I don't know why it's like that. Maybe it could be because Google and Adobe aren't such huge like lobby yeah. businesses it left here. Them room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but at so. the same time, like you, we also have some of the biggest or at least the most active like GA user bases in the EU. Like we have, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's very interesting to see how it's so, yeah, but it's it's been it's been weird since those like landmark decisions in the courts uh, because yeah. it's, it's kind of throwing things off quite a bit. Well, and it's it's just so in the open. Like I yeah. don't know when we're going to have definitive answers on things, so we're all yeah. just kind of holding our breath on on a lot of that EU court decisions and stuff. Yeah, I think you're right, and this is a great point because I haven't heard either about Matomo or Pivik until the whole GDPR thing kind of like started becoming more of a conversation and until uh you know the ua uh, rest in peace date has been announced and um i do i do like pv pro <laughs> but uh there's a there's a lot of tools out there that can be used and i think what bothers me a lot it's like probably the because you both are like uh, academia language uh you know, uh, people here. I feel bad because I didn't finish college. I was pregnant. I didn't finish college. But what what bothers me is the language that happens in the market. And even and I might piss people off, but that's okay. I'm used to it. Even us as analysts are using this language. We have to upgrade. We have to upgrade. No, you don't have to upgrade. You can use whatever you want. Like no, Google is not taking nobody and say, listen, you gotta upgrade to GA4. Forget about anything else and you have to upgrade. Nobody has to upgrade. I think everyone has to assess what they're doing, assess what they want to be doing, and then evaluate whatever tool they want to use moving further based on privacy consideration, location, and so on. But nobody is forcing nobody into another tool. Unless, of course, I don't know, there's some interest there. But I, I think, and me being me playing the devil advocate, I actually do like GA4. I'm probably one of the few people that do like it, but I think the reason why I am more onboarded into it is because I haven't worked with UA before. And as a product person, when you first land on a tool, mm -hmm. they're like, okay, this is what I have to work with. You know, I don't know what was before, but now I, because I'm working with both, yes, I'm, of course I'm bothered about the standard reports and other stuff, just like everyone else. Well, yeah, and, and that's really like, there are cool things you can do with reporting in GA4, and I like yeah. the event-based model and all of that. It's just the mm -hmm. or the attribution part with the conversion pads and the little the different types of attribution models. Like I love that stuff, 
But I think it's not fair the way we are positioning also as analysts this this conversation because nobody's forcing no one. I think it's a very interesting time, as Simo and you kind of like agreed upon earlier. It's a very interesting time for people to just assess, you know, like what have I done until now and what's next for me and just be open to all of the sorts of opportunities. And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a I don't know if we're going to have one of these moments again in the, right. in the whole web analytics uh, vendor type of, uh, of situation. Well, and I mean, to agree, they are forced, fo- folks are being forced to change, whether yeah. that's upgrading within the same tool set or moving to another uh, tool mm-hmm. set. But there yeah. is some definite forcing going on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A change, a change. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, changes you get to scary. decide the nature of that change. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're about to start wrapping up. It's been uh, wonderful to have Jen over oh. here. And I, I, I really hope that we get to do this again. Um, yeah. We didn't talk about board games nearly enough, Simo. We didn't. I had this wonderful segue about like alpha gamers and then teamwork. And we're just going to have to leave that for the next time. And in the next, so, okay. So Juliana, you, we need a, a photo of your Hogwarts setup, Jen. And then okay. you have to send screenshots of the Adobe interface to Juliana. So that yes, okay. Adobe Analytics looks like. And next time we'll make sure that we'll have some cool uh, Lego set in the background. I'll try All right. to like that as well. Uh, for people yeah. that want to connect with you, Jen, where can they find you? Uh, how they can reach out? I'm sure there's a lot of people that hearing this, and you, and I am one of those people that want to talk to you more. Uh, where they can connect with you? Uh, I am still spending altogether too much time on Twitter, so I'm <laughs> I'm on there as Jen underscore Coons. I'm also on um, Mastodon, though I'll admit I'm not on there nearly as much. Um, and then Measure Slack, um, that is. Uh, probably the the easiest and best way to have real conversations. So um, I'm on there a lot. Tend to hang out in the Adobe um, channels the most, but Mm. the lobby bar in the video game channel too. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, you were mentioning that you guys at 33 Sticks are doing a podcast as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we do. It's mostly uh, done by Jim Driscoll and uh, Jason. So I'm on it every now and then, Um, but it's called 33 Tangents. And I think you can get it wherever you get your podcast, but talking about the industry. Cool. Well, for everyone listening, you will find all the links in the description, video description or episode notes. Thank you for listening and watching wherever you are, especially shouts to the people in uh, Finland and Sweden that keep me high in the charts. (laughs) (laughs) You have a loyal following here. Jen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Oh, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure. Talk See you guys you next time.